0: I think we have some of the best musicians in the world, don't we? What a blessing! Not only do they do that, but they do it early in the morning. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Take your Bible this morning and go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5 is where we'll begin in a moment. I know we've been in Hebrews on Sunday mornings, but we're going to give Hebrews a little rest. And during the Christmas season, we're going to talk about the birth of Christ. So we'll begin our Christmas series this morning, uh, taking a look at the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist. It's common practice when someone important is going to arrive that you make preparations. I remember in my military days we were deployed one Christmas and we were in the Mediterranean Sea over Christmas and our battle group was doing what we always did, flying airplanes and you know running around in the ocean and we we got instructions, we received instructions to go to a certain area and hang out there. And that means drive around in circles and show the flag. And the reason was the president at the time, George W., was coming to Europe for some kind of international conference and of course when uh, when the commander-in-chief is there so are the forces. So we came over and were Near in case they needed us, and the Air Force was flying. We they won't tell you this in the news, but when the president travels, we pretty much own that part of the world until he leaves. And so we were there in full force, our aircraft carrier and the battle groups. And while we were there, Christmas was coming, it was in December, mid December. And when the conference was over, we got word that the president was going to come to the ship. What do you think happened when? We got word that the president was going to come to ship. He wanted to come to the aircraft carrier and thank us for being deployed over Christmas and missing our families. That was pretty neat. But I want to tell you, we painted every inch of an aircraft carrier (laughs) in seven days. I mean, we, we painted and cleaned and, I mean... I just can't even describe what happened when they found out he was coming. We made preparation. And the day before he arrived, the Secret Service came. And they they laid out a path that he was going to walk on the ship. You know, he was going to land here. He's going to go down this passageway. He's going to go in here. And he's going to end up in the hangar bay to give a speech to the crew, right? And everywhere he was going to walk, they locked all the hatches. They chained them so nobody could surprise him like step out of a hatch and a sailor would have done it if they hadn't done that somebody would have some sailor you know probably some guy down in the engine room hadn't seen light for a week he's going to come out of there at the right moment right so he ended up in the hangar bay and uh not only did we paint the ship and secure his his path but they took two uh, f-14s which were the planes then and they painted his name on them you know the pilots get their names they painted his name on it And parked them by the podium so he could give a speech. Preparation. When somebody important is going to arrive, particularly the commander in chief, to thank you for being deployed over Christmas, which, by the way, was pretty neat again, uh, you make preparation. Well, in the Bible, we find that there was a person who was going to come, and his name's Jesus. Nobody greater than him. Nobody. And so God the Father prepared a messenger. A forerunner, somebody to come and tell everybody he's coming. Somebody to come and prepare the hearts of the people, particularly in Israel. Someone to come and preach and prepare the people. In fact, 400 years before this passage, before the announcement that will be in this passage, Malachi had said that a forerunner would come. Listen to this Malachi 3 1. God said, Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. A messenger would come, and that messenger would be uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been called the last of the Old Testament prophets. That's an appropriate title for him. He came preaching, preparing the way for the Messiah, telling the people to repent of their sin. He was a powerful preacher, a powerful messenger of God. He came to prepare the way. He came to tell the people of the birth of the Savior and that they needed to be ready. Let's find in our passage this morning the birth of this man, John the Baptist, really the announcement of his birth beginning in verse 5. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, if you know much about Luke, he was ever the historian. He's the author of Acts as well, the book of Acts. And so he sets the announcement, the birth of John the Baptist, his announcement to his parents that he would be born in the, times of, in the time of this man Herod. Now, just real quick to give you some context, this is the man known as Herod the Great. He was born about 73 BC, 40 BC, the Roman Senate appointed him to be uh, king of Judea. They gave him the position. And he ruled uh, over that area from about 40 BC to when he died in four BC. Now he was uh, a man of, of, it's interesting to read in, in history, he was mean and wicked. Uh, history tells us that he killed his own family, murdered his own family to protect his his authority and his place. And yet he uh, tried to appease the the, the the Hebrews, the Jews, and he took the old uh, simple temple that had been built in the, in, when the restoration of the land happened, and he began to multiply it and build it bigger, and we call it Herod's Temple, and it was a magnificent thing. And so it's under this man's rule, if you will, that the announcement comes that that John the Baptist will be born. It was in this time that God had brought everything together to prepare for the birth of his son, and the only thing left was for the messenger to come. Now, we're told about John's parents here, and and these details, even though they seem like just details, are very important. Think, first of all, about Zacharias' father. His father's name was Zacharias. He was a descendant of Aaron, which means he was a priest. Everybody who was born in the line of Aaron was a priest. think about that for a moment. You say, well, pastor, we know that. We're church people. I know you know that, but think about what it means. By the time of this writing, there were tens of thousands of men who had been born after the line of Aaron. I mean, there were tens of thousands of priests, and they couldn't all serve at the same time. In fact, way back in David, David was an organizer as well. David divided the priest into 24 courses, if you will, 24 divisions, and he was born, Zacharias was born, and he was assigned to the course of Abijah. And what that means is those priests who were assigned to those courses really only got to serve two times a year. When their course came around every 24 weeks, then they went to the temple for a week, or, uh, a week period, and they would serve and give the offerings, and then they were off, and the next course came on. The only time all the priests served altogether when they needed a lot of them was the Passover Pentecost or the or the Feast of Tabernacles, all the priests would come because so many offerings were being given uh, morning and evening. They were perpetual, and so they would need all the men to serve. So that's the scenario. This man Zacharias is a priest. He gets to serve two times a year, and when you, and, and even when he served, they would cast lots or 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 determined by a Lot who got to burn incense and who got to do what. So he may ser- have served his entire career as a priest and not get to do much other than do some offerings. And so that's the scenario. That's the, that's the situation. Now, a priest was required to marry a Hebrew woman. They weren't allowed to marry anybody but a Hebrew woman. They had to had to have a Hebrew wife. But not only was Elizabeth his wife a Hebrew, but she too was born in the line of Aaron. And so we have this This couple, if you will, this this perfect couple in Jewish society, he's the priest, she's born of the line of Aaron, he serves in his course, and they're walking with God. Now we're told about their character, which is the part I want to hone in on. He tells us two things about this, about this couple. One, they were righteous, and two, they were obedient. Look at verse six again. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What does it mean when When the Bible says someone in the Old Testament was righteous, what it means is they were saved. It means God had forgiven their sin and God had had given them his righteousness because you understand none of us can be righteous unless God gives it to us. None of us can be righteous before God unless God places his righteousness on us. And you say, Well, how did these how did these Old Testament saints, Jesus hadn't come yet? The messenger, they're going to be the parents of the messenger of Christ. John the Baptist. Jesus hadn't come yet. He hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't resurrected. He hadn't ascended back to heaven. How could they be considered righteousness? Listen very carefully. The same way we are. By faith. The same way. Listen. Salvation has always been by faith. Salvation has always been by faith. You say, well, what's the pattern in the Old Testament? I knew you would ask. Abraham. Listen to this. Genesis 15 5 and 6. Then he, God, brought him, Abraham, outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. God took Abraham outside and said, Look at the stars. Can you count them? Because that's what your descendants are going to be like, like the sand of the seashore, and like the stars of the sky. Listen to Abraham's response. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and God counted it to him for righteousness. That's exactly what happened to Zacharias and Elizabeth. You say, well, what did they believe? Whatever God said. Amen. That's it, isn't it? You say, what did they believe? Whatever God said. Does Zacharias and Elizabeth have the revelation we have today? Not close. No, not even close. I mean, we have the complete canon of scripture. We have the, the finished word of God to all humanity Zacharias and Elizabeth had the Old Testament. But you know why they were saved? Because whatever God said, they believed them. Amen. They believed the Messiah was coming. They believed the Savior was coming. They believed that the one God promised was coming. And they were looking for him. They were looking for him. They weren't the only ones. There were other uh, godly saints in Israel who were looking for the promised Messiah. Isn't it interesting? i just throw this in. Isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament, God told us exactly where Jesus would be born? I mean, to the spot and the religious leaders didn't have a clue. I mean, the wise men from the East come and say, hey, we're looking for the one who's born king of the Jews. Why, why are a bunch of Gentile people looking for Jesus when his own people aren't even looking for him? These two were looking for him. And God said they were, they were righteous because they believed God. The same is true today, beloved. If you're watching online or you're here this morning, the only way to be righteous before God is to believe him. And here's how it works today. We believe God when He says we're sinners. Do you believe that? Do you believe you're a sinner? What that means is you've disobeyed God, you've transgressed His law, you are a sinner by nature. We all are. And if you believe that, then believe this Jesus Christ came here and paid for your sin on the cross. He died on a cross to pay for the sin of the world. He died, he rose again the third day, and he ascended back to heaven, and he sits today at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for all who call on his name. Now, if you believe that, if you say, Pastor, I believe that, then respond to it. Then ask God to forgive your sin and save your soul, and God will put his righteousness on you. He'll forgive your sin. He'll take it all away, past, present, future. He'll never bring it up again. That's the part I really like. He'll put his righteousness on you and he'll welcome you into heaven when you die. Now listen, you say, boy, that sounds so simple. That's the only way we could get it. That's the only way we could get it. If you need Jesus, you need to be saved exactly like they were saved, by faith. Now, it says not only were they saved, but it says that they they were obedient. They walked in obedience to God's word. Now I want you to understand two things about that. Three things. Number one, when it says walk, it means lifestyle. It means the habit of our lives. It doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that they were perfect. It doesn't mean they never sinned. Now, we can all give testimony this morning, all of us who are saved, that we struggle with sin every day, don't we? I said a week or two ago, I don't put a sticker on the back of my car that says, follow me to church, because I drive on Blanding. I'm just confessing. All right. I'm just confessing. I've not reached that level of sanctification yet. But listen, the habit of our life, the habit of our life should be one of obedience, should it not? In other words, as we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit and God draws us more and more into the likeness of Christ, so, so as he said here, they're not perfect in their lifestyle because they're still here in the flesh. However, the habit, their walk was one of obedience to God. Now, why did they obey God? Their obedience didn't save them or make them more saved than they were. They wanted to obey God because they wanted to, because they desired to. I've told you this story before. I met a man one time right over here in, at Home Depot, and we were talking, and uh, he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a Baptist preacher. And the conversation gets weird right after that because he don't know what to say. He really, people really don't know what to say. So I started talking to him about Jesus, and he said, or, he said you're a Baptist. I said, yeah. He said, is it true that y'all go to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night? I said, most of us, yes. And he said, uh, he said why do you do that? He said, one time on Sunday ain't enough. I said, well, it's not really like that. And so we had a, a five-minute discussion about why we go to church. I said, I said we, we, we want to worship. I said, do you understand that when you're saved, it isn't a have to, it isn't a pressure on the outside, it's a desire on the inside. Because I said, when you get saved, God gives you a new heart and you get a new nature and you want to be around Jesus and you want to be around the people that love Jesus. And I said, So you want to go? I said, And another thing, when you read the Bible when you're saved, you really like it. I said, It speaks to you. I said, So why wouldn't you want to go to church and listen to preaching? I said, Now, you know, God's word speaks for itself. I said, Just go listen. Last Sunday, Sherry and I were in California. You know that with our kids and went John MacArthur's church. Yeah, yeah. That joker—he's 83 and still burning it down. I mean, he's still, you know, 83 and and still just teaching away. But listen, that—that's just the the point. They didn't obey God because because of the law. Yes, they were under the law, and yes, their life was under the law. But you know why they obey obey God? Because they loved Him, and they wanted to do what He said. and They wanted to please Him. So they weren't saved because. Because of some outward performance, they were saved because they were new on the inside. Their righteousness came from God and their their lifestyle demonstrated that. One writer said he would describe their lifestyle of righteousness and obedience as they lived honestly and inoffensively. I like that. Honestly and inoffensively. What does that mean for us today? A child of God should be a man or a woman of, of, of integrity and character, and transparency. There should be no duplicity. Again, we're not perfect. And I, and I have times of failure. But you know what? The, the, the character in our lives should be the moment we fail and the Holy Spirit convicts us, we should be confessing, God, I'm sorry for doing that. Listen, tonight, we're going to start a really short series on Sunday nights on the Christian life. And we're going to talk about tonight the difference between being carnal and being spiritual so you want to come back for that, okay? because it beat me up this week, and I want to beat you up with it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, let me rephrase that. It'll be good for you. You need to come back tonight, okay? But that's, that's what was going on with Zacharias and Elizabeth. They, they, they were godly men and women because they love God, because they're saved, and because they wanted to be what God called them to be. Zacharias' love servant, Elizabeth loved helping her husband serve Remember, in a marriage. They're completers of one another. And so they were, they were a couple serving God. But now, there was one problem in the household. It tells us here in verse 7 that Elizabeth was barren, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, get the scenario. Man, they have loved God, and they have served him their whole lives. I mean, man, they have been committed. They know they're saved. They love God, but they've had no child Listen to me. You don't think they didn't pray for God to give them a baby? Every day. Every day. You say, how do you know that? Because it says so here in just a minute. They prayed. Listen, at their advanced age, past the years of childbearing, they're still praying for a child. Why? Because they know God can do it. And so they're praying. They want a child. It would have been very difficult for Elizabeth in that culture in that day to to have not had a child. Particularly in the fact that her husband is a priest, because sometimes in that culture of that, of that era, it was looked as if a judgment from God was upon their family because they couldn't have a child. Now we know better today. God controls births and God controls those things, but in God's, it's not judgment if somebody can't have a child, but in that day it was viewed that way. Now notice, notice it became his turn to serve in verse 8. Look at verses 8 to 10. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, look at this, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now let me give that some context. When they would burn the offerings, uh, give the burnt offerings in the morning and the evening, it was practiced to go into the holy place. There was the the court where the, where the altar was at, there was a holy place and there was a the holy of holy and then the people would be in the courtyard. A priest would go into the holy place where there was the, the incense, the altar where they would burn incense. And what, what it represented was as the offerings were offered up to God, they would burn incense to give it a sweet smell. So the idea was they, they offered the offering to God with a sweet smell. A man could serve his entire life as a priest and never get to burn incense if, the, if he wasn't chosen. Because there are thousands of them. So the fact that he was chosen to go in and burn incense is all God aligning everything to talk to him, to send a messenger. So uh, Zacharias is chosen to go in and, and burn the incense as the offerings go up. And the people are outside praying as they gather around for the offerings and the incense. And he goes in there and look at what happens. Look at verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. I always love that when I read that in the Bible. The angel appears, and fear fell upon them. That's a gentle way of saying it scared the daylights out of them. I mean, think about the reality of that. God God hadn't openly spoken to Israel in 400 years. Not as recorded in the Bible anyway. Since Malachi till then, 400 years, no open word from God, just silence. Zechariah, this one guy, he's in there burning incense and Gabriel shows up. I bet it scared him. Matter of fact, I don't know what his reaction was. I might have been backing up toward the door. I'm I'm not sure. But the angel shows up and his natural response is to be afraid. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What a message. Gabriel. Gabriel was busy about this time of history. He was showing up talking to a lot of people. But the first one he showed up to was Zacharias. Now I want to show you some things quickly. Time doesn't permit a detailed analysis of all that because I want to show you some other stuff real quick this morning. But but let's consider three things that it said here. Number one, Gabriel shows up and the first thing he says to Zacharias is, don't be afraid because I know you're afraid. And number two, he says, your prayer is heard. Just think about that for a minute. How often have you prayed for a long time about something. Maybe you're still praying about something that you've been praying for your whole life. There are people I have prayed for for their salvation. Best I know, they're not saved yet, and I still pray for them. And I have prayed for them for years. Now, it's human nature that if you prayed for something for a long time to go, well... Maybe I need to move on to another thing because that one ain't working. That's human nature. Not for Zacharias and Elizabeth, it wasn't. They're still praying for a child. And you know what Gabriel said? God's heard every one of them. Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? Because sometimes when you don't see the answer, you think, is God hearing me? Is he listening to me? Listen to me. God hears every prayer of his children. Not one goes unheard. In fact, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have a direct line to the throne of Almighty God. And when you pray, He hears you. Now the natural human question is, then why ain't He answering? Because He's God and He knows best. And sometimes God, sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer because that's not what we need in that moment. I had somebody ask me this one time, what about when I pray for lost people? Sometimes I don't think God answers that prayer. Well, you need to consider a couple of things very quickly. Number one, God won't override a human will of rebellion. God won't make a person get saved, okay? But number two, if you pray for them, and here's what I pray sometimes, God make them miserable. You say, that's not nice, I know, but it might lead to them getting saved. Because, see, God can bring circumstances into their life to box them in, to draw them, to work on them, and that's what I pray for. And so my point is this. When you pray, and it doesn't seem like there's an answer from heaven or that your prayers are getting any higher than the ceiling, I want you to know in Jesus Christ, God hears all of them, and God knows the desires of your heart. But you know what our part is? We have to trust God. We have to say, God... I don't know how you're working in this matter, but I trust you, whatever the answer is going to be, and keep asking them. Be persistent. Don't give up in your prayers, what I'm saying. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they prayed. They were continuing to pray in their advanced age for a child, and Gabriel said, hey, God hears you. God cares about you. Think about this as well. Sometimes, when it's in God's will, that he doesn't answer a prayer for a long time. You know what I've seen in the Bible? When he answers the prayer, when the time comes, he does it with double blessings. And I think he does that because the person waited so long and they kept praying so faithfully that God just blessed the britches off of them because now's when it needs to be answered and now he's going to bless them. And I think that's what happened with Zacharias and Elizabeth. They prayed all those years for a child. Gabriel shows up in their old age and says, now's the time. Now God's going to give you a child. And what does it matter when God answers the prayer? Because he's good, isn't he? And he answers it according to his will. So number one, your prayer is heard. Number two, you'll have a son. Gabriel said, not only is God going to answer your prayer, but he's going to give you a boy. Now, in that culture, that was, carries probably more weight than we think today because that's how the family was passed down, the lineage, the name of the family. And so Gabriel said, God's going to be John. They didn't have to argue about the name, did they? Because God said his name's going to be John. Now, I'm going to say something right here for you watching online or here, and I'm going to say it with all kindness, but you need to listen. In our culture today, that has lost its mind about many things, I want you to understand this. When God created John the Baptist in the womb, he made him a male. He said, you're going to have a boy and his name's going to be John. When God creates babies at the moment of conception, when they become a a, a human soul, in the moment that they're conceived, God determines who they are. God determines if they're a boy or a girl. God determines that. In Psalm 139, the, the David, the psalmist, said, God, you, you knew my parts before they were formed. You knew me, and you put me together. And here's why I'm saying this. Now, again, I say this with all kindness, but it's true, and you need to listen. When you were born, God created you to be what you are, and God doesn't make mistakes. If you were born a male, God intended you to be a man. If you were born female, and we all know the difference, God intended you to be a woman. Now, if you're a man and you think you're to be a woman, you're wrong. I mean, I know, listen, I know all the, the psychology behind it, and you think you aren't what you are to be. No, God didn't make a mistake. If he created you to be a man, he meant for you to be a man. Same thing, if you're a woman and you think you are to be a man, you're wrong. Because God made you to be a woman. Now, you can get mad about it, and somebody may email me, and that's okay. Why don't you talk to God about it, okay? and take it up with him. But you understand that when Gabriel told Zacharias that him and Elizabeth are going to have a baby, God said, you're going to have a baby and it's going to be a boy. How did he know that? Because he's God. He's the one who created him. He's the one who was going to create him. And so God created you to be what you are. Don't try to be something that, that you're not. God loves you and he created you to bring honor and glory to him. Don't try to change or pervert what God created you to be. Honor God for who you are. So, thirdly, Gabriel said to Zacharias, not only did did God hear your prayer, not only is God going to answer your prayer and give you a son, but this boy is going to be special. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Now, we just did a study recently on another fellow in the Old Testament whom that same thing was said about. Do you remember who it was? Samson, remember? Now, Samson had all... Listen, this is an interesting comparison. I don't have time, but I'll just give you a taste. We got Samson who was going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. We got John the Baptist who's going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. Same spirit, same power, same potential. Samson squandered a lot of his, right? By carnality, which you're gonna learn about tonight. John the Baptist was a powerful preacher. Man, he served in the power of the Spirit. He rebuked kings, got his head chopped off for it. I mean, this this dude this dude was no joke. In fact, Jesus said of of those born among women, get this: none better than none greater than him. That's just a pretty big statement coming from Jesus because he knows everybody who's born of women, right? Because he creates them. So you get these two men, you got John, and what he's saying to Zacharias is, this boy that you're going to have can going to be a world changer. He's going he's to preach to a nation and prepare people for the arrival of the king, of the, of the one who's coming. What an honor. Listen, what an honor to have had to wait for your prayer to be answered to get the forerunner of the Messiah. And that's what, that's what Gabriel said to them. He'll make ready a people, prepare them for the coming of the Lord. Now in our last few minutes, let me show you Zechariah's reaction because it's beautiful. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Now just stop right there for a minute. Here's a man full of faith, prayed without ceasing to have a child, The angel shows up and says God heard you, you're going to have a child and what's his response? Really? Really? How am I going to know? A little lack of faith. Okay, A little little weakness in the moment. Notice what he says. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Took his eyes off of God, didn't he? Now he's looking at his problems. Look, verse 19. An angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. You want me to paraphrase that for you? Gabriel looked at Zacharias and said, do you know who I am? Now My name's Gabriel and I stand in the very presence of God and you're asking me how this is going to be? Verse 20. But behold, You will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. Verse 22. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he parted to his own house and after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me and took away and take away my reproach among the people. What a great passage. Let's hit some highlights real quick and we'll finish up. Number one, Zacharias' lack of faith. It almost, it almost seems incredible that this godly man would pray and they're burning incense. Gabriel shows up and says, You're going to have a baby. God's heard your prayer. And he has a momentary lapse of faith. A momentary, a a moment of doubt. And it would be easy to be hard on Zacharias here. But let me remind us of what happens to us. Sometimes, and I know this has happened to me, and I'm pretty sure it's probably happened to you. I have prayed for something earnestly. And when it happens, I'm surprised. You say, preacher. Well, I know you have too, so knock it off. I mean, you pray, you you, you go before God and you say, God, I know you can do anything. God, would you do this thing? And the next day, it happens and you're shocked and you go, wow. Should we be shocked? You know what that same kind of moment of, of lack of faith that Zacharias had? Do you understand that we served a God who spoke the universe into existence? And there's nothing that he can't do. Amen. And so when we pray and God and God does something miraculous or stupendous, we shouldn't be surprised. We should just say, thank you, God, that you would hear somebody like me. That's what we should say. So Zacharias, momentary lapse in faith. Gabriel's response is, look, I stand in, I stand in the presence of God. Think about that for a minute. I don't have time to develop that. Gabriel stands in the presence of Almighty God. Yeah, that's a while. Let me encourage you. When we get our new bodies one day, guess where we're going to stand? Move over, Gabriel. Get over, man. I I need a spot up here. We're going to be in the presence of God. In fact, we're going to have what God and angels do. Because we're in a family and we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So pretty incredible stuff. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Boy, can you imagine the celebrating and the birth announcement going on there? She hid herself for five months now. I think it, it must have been incredible at that age and for God to answer the prayer. A lot of emotions. She hid herself before the announcement, and you know later, Mary, guess who's going to come visit? Mary, who's going to be pregnant with Jesus. And when Mary shows up, John's already ahead of where Jesus is in the growth, and John leaps in the womb because the one whom he's going to testify of is there. So we see a beautiful picture. Let me close with this. The birth of Jesus, as you can tell from this passage is not by chance. It was prepared before the world began by the Father. Jesus agreed to come. And these things that we read, John the Baptist and, and the other passages we'll read in the Christmas season, are all God bringing to completion his plan to save you and me. So if you're here this morning, I want you to know we have a true and living God who created all things. He's the God of this Bible, It's revealed in this book. If you've never been saved, he wants to save you right now. And if you'll believe him and believe what he says about you and believe what he says about himself and what he did for you, and you will confess your sin and ask him by faith to save you, your sin will be forgiven and you will receive eternal life. You will become a new creation in Christ and I can assure you on the authority of God's word that life will take on a whole new view, a whole new outlook. Can I invite you to come to him today? No matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, no matter what you're involved in right now, you might say, well, let me get my life cleaned up and I'll come. You will never get your life cleaned up. Here's the way to do it. Are you listening? Let God make you new on the inside and then the Holy Spirit will take you will take care of cleaning you up on the outside okay so come to jesus today and let him do a work in your heart let's pray together god thank you for your word for john the baptist who came and was the forerunner of the messiah to prepare the people Uh, god he preached faithfully and powerfully and and many were drawn and many were prepared and many were saved from his preaching lord thank you for bringing him uh, to make the way for the savior to come Or maybe today there's someone in the hearing of your word who's hearing it live today or we're hearing it as a recording sometime from now. Lord, may they in this moment pause and say, God, I I understand I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and save me right now. God, bless this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and the music plays, I'm going to be right here. If, If I can help you or pray with you, you come on the first verse. Let's stand together. Oh, how Thank you for being here today. Again, let me invite you back tonight. We have a one at five o'clock, six o'clock. We're going to do Bible study in here. Uh, First Corinthians three, you will enjoy it. If you come back tonight, I won't beat you up. I promise. We'll just, we'll let God's word do that. All right. So you come back, be with us tonight. If you need to talk to somebody after church, find one of us before you leave. Uh, especially if you think you need to be saved. Don't leave here without talking to somebody. Okay. Anything else? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. God, for how good it is to be together around your word. May you multiply it in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.